0: Hello and welcome everyone to this Off-Roads webinar. Thanks so much for joining us. We're delighted to be running this session today on the very exciting and very talked about topic of connected and automated vehicles trials. My name is Eliz, and I'll be co-moderating this session here to provide any technical support. If you need to contact me, please use a chat box you could see in your sidebar. Joining me is our very own Chris Jones who will also be moderating the session, in particular the panel Q&A. Chris Jones is a project manager, Automated Vehicles, and is currently responsible for preparing frameworks for the deployment of automated vehicles across road operations and registrations and licensing. Hi, Chris, how are you today?
1: I'm good, thanks, Louise, and you?
0: Very well, thanks, Chris. So for those that don't know about OSROADs, we are the peak organisation of Australasian road transport and traffic agencies. We support our member organisations, those listed here, to deliver an improved road transport network. We are proud to bring this webinar to you today. At Ausroads, we use a program management approach where each program focuses on an operational area of the road system. This webinar falls under the Connected and Automated Vehicles program. Today we're very privileged to have a panel of experts joining us from all over Australia. The presentations will run for approximately 50 minutes altogether with 50 minutes at the end for our panel Q&A. The presentation slides that we're using can be downloaded in the handouts in your sidebar. We are also recording today's session and we'll email you once the recording has been uploaded on our website. We do encourage you to participate in the webinar by asking our presenters any questions for our panel Q&A at the end. At any stage of the webinar, you can type your questions into the questions box in your sidebar. If your question is addressed to any particular presenter, please let us know. We anticipate a lot of questions coming through today and we'll try our best to answer them as best as we can. So here is the agenda slide and I'll pass it over to Chris who will talk you through it. Over to you, Chris.
1: Thanks, Elise. And uh, welcome to my co-presenters today uh, listed above. Um, Dr Miranda Blob uh, from Queensland Transport and Main Roads, Sam Taylor from the Australian Road Research Board, Nico uh, Nico Limans from Austroads and John Wall from Transport for New South Wales. I'd also really like to welcome those who've made the time to join us uh, online today from across Australia, New Zealand and other international jurisdictions. We've had a fantastic uh, level of interest in today's webinar Today we hope to provide you today not with just a list of questions uh, but for, for some real-world learnings from some of the cab trials that are going on across Australia and New Zealand. There's been a lot of interest in our webinar in, 20, in October 2017 about the safety benefits of connected automated vehicles um, but many of the questions that came through in that forum inquired as to how these theoretical benefits in our report Um, could be realised in the real world and what are some of the deployment barriers that we need to work through. Today we feature three of the more mature trials where we're starting to get some real learnings about what is required to deploy CAVs. I'd also like to introduce my co-host, Nico Limans, who will be joining us for the Q&A session at at the end. Uh, Nico Limans is Australia's project manager, at cooperative ITS, and is currently preparing frameworks for cooperative ITS deployment, including security management and communication message protocols for V 2 X. So before we get into the trials, I'm just going to give you an overview of what is happening around Australia. We would like to acknowledge that there are a great many more trials going on around Australia um, than what we are featuring today. Australia's CAVS trials page provides a useful resource to look up um, a snapshot of these trials. Um, the page indicates the trial status, whether it's in planning, ongoing or finalised, and links to further information within the jurisdiction or the specific organisation's trial pages. Um, again, as a snapshot of the trials across Australia, we now have almost every jurisdiction in Australia and New, New Zealand featuring some sort of on-road testing of connected automated vehicles. Unfortunately, I couldn't quite fit New Zealand on this but they have been active in this space too, including testing of a shuttle bus around uh, an airport precinct and setting up test sites around Christchurch for further connected and automated vehicle testing. Almost every Australian state now has some level of involvement in testing of shuttle buses. In many cases, these trials are seeking to to determine deployment barriers for shuttle buses and whether they offer a last mile alternative uh, for areas such as university campuses or tech precincts. There are now five projects across Australia with a focus on cooperative ITS, and three motorway evaluation projects testing the readiness of motorway assets for technology such as lane support systems and adaptive cruise control, and we will feature one of them heavily in today's session. Um, So why share knowledge on trials? Well, undertaking trials of connected and automated vehicles is a commitment of Australia's transport ministers under the National Policy Framework for land transport technology. Further to this, there is a the commitment from ministers in the national interest to share learnings and knowledge from trials. Australia is taking a leading role in the formation of a knowledge-sharing group through the National Trials and Technical Working Group. Uh, in line with the goals above on the slide, uh, we seek to share knowledge from one from one another, avoid overlap and duplication, and identify where further gaps or whether or where research projects may be needed to fill in those gaps. We also have some softer goals around identifying where, where sharing and collaboration um, is needed so that we can evolve towards uh, greater harmonisation and consistency where pos- possible. And particularly with cooperative ITS, we think there are strong benefits in having a, stro- a strongly joined up approach across jurisdictions where we evolve towards harmonisation harmonization in particular. Um, to achieve this, uh, we host a Trials and Technical Working Group which meets semi-regularly um, and provides uh, updates um, a- a- across the jurisdictions. Um, this Trials and Technical Working Group is co-hosted by Nico and myself. Um, we meet online uh, semi-regularly and I'd really like to acknowledge the um, work put into this group um, by our members um, who I've shown on the map above. So that really brings me to the end of the introduction to today's webinar. And now we'll feature the uh, stars of our show who who are the people actually running the uh, trials within each jurisdiction. Um, Just a reminder to use the chat bar or question bar at the side to ask questions of the presenters uh, and Nico. I will moderate a forum um, at the end uh, where we'll endeavour to get through as many questions as possible. I now pass control over to uh, Sam Taylor from the Australian Road Research Board. Sam Taylor is the technical leader for Victorian Tasmania at ARB. She has 20 years experience in transport consulting, research, academia and government, working across disciplines, engaging with stakeholders and encouraging teams to work together. ARB connect East and Road's development of road certification criteria for partially automated vehicles on motorways Um, through testing of a range of vehicles equipped with traffic sign recognition, land keep assist and adaptive cruise control will be the feature of her presentation today. Welcome, Sam.
2: Thanks very much, Chris. And um, it's a pleasure to be here today. I want to first of all, um, acknowledge the partners of this project um, who are Eastlink or Connect East and uh, VicRoads who have funded this program out of the Smarter Journeys. Uh, program uh, funding arrangement and La Trobe University Centre for Technology Infusion. The project's actually in three parts, and uh, I'll be commenting today talking about the first part or the first stage of, of the project, which um, looked at the existing partial uh, AVs or uh, current production vehicles that have ADAS, Advanced Driver Assistance. Uh, systems on the vehicles, and we were testing those on Eastlink to to find out firsthand what um, how they perform on on Eastlink, which is a motorway, uh, tollway, 3.5 meter lanes, very high standard, pretty straight um, in terms of you know not not very steep uh, or curvature uh, or sharp curvature, I should say. And um, so they're very good conditions in which we tested the vehicles to start with. It was anecdotal in that there was four drivers and we were all in the car at the same time. So it was really getting a feel for how the vehicles perform and were there any similarities. As you can imagine, it's moved on quite a lot since then and um, the technology is changing dramatically. Um, Certainly in the last 12 months, we noticed it's changed a lot. So this project couldn't have been uh, possible without partnerships, uh, collaborations and sharing, it's also, I've titled it, Learning by Doing and that was really about uh, overcoming the secondhand information that we were getting um, through the internet and also from other people that we wanted to find out for ourselves how these cars are performing. And without the support of the OEMs and the vehicle manufacturers who lent us the cars um, free of charge, um, of course this wouldn't be possible. So they do work. Driver assistance systems do work. You can take your hands off the wheel, um, depending on the vehicle, depending on the make and the model, uh, for a period of time that can vary from eight seconds to uh, 65 seconds, and even longer for the Tesla. I believe up to up to three minutes, though we didn't test it um, for that long. So, and sometimes surprising, which vehicles you can take your hands off for longer. We had a Honda Accord um, a bit more than 12 months ago, and that was performing. Almost as good as the Mercedes E Class um, 12 months ago. So I just wanted. I've got these photos here. On the left, I've got uh, Matt Barini, who's our state technical leader in Queensland, and uh, we were both in the car. And I took that photo, and somehow flicked it and got the drive safely um, in the background. So of course I had to put that slide on today. We were going at 80 k's an hour at the time, so it was a fluke that 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 came up in the background. And then I'm on the right uh, with my hands just in my lap a little bit more demure in terms of focusing on the road and seeing what the car's doing. We did test, uh, as I mentioned, a lot of vehicles, actually 15 vehicles over the last 18 months. Uh, We had recently, we had another five or six vehicles in May. And it was interesting and very, very interesting to see the changes because the, the Dramatic change in technology, certainly apparent in testing those vehicles. I've got some of the photos here of vehicles that we tested, and they range from Hyundai, Volvo, Mercedes, BMW, Audi, uh, Lexus, and Honda and Mazda's there, where there was also a number of others uh, that we tested. Um, Tesla, more from a passenger being in in the vehicle, and uh, Mitsubishi and uh, a number of others. But anyway, um, we've got some... uh, written information that we can provide to people um, and it will be on the ARB website if you want more information. So I just wanted to show how user friendly the ACC and the LKAR are because they're they're the two ADAS systems, so adaptive cruise control or dynamic cruise control which adjusts the speed according to the speed in front. Um, the vehicle in front of you and so therefore it adjusts, you know, how close you get to the vehicle in front. And lane keeping assist, which basically steers the vehicle and keeps it within the lane. I won't go into the various types of lane keeping assist because for us, um, we kept it to pretty much centre line lane because the other one is a little bit, you don't feel confident um, in terms of taking your hands off the wheel. So these two, ACC and LKA, together comprise autopilot or traffic jam assist so on the right hand side you can see a yellow steering wheel and that says LKA hold steering wheel. So it's giving you as the driver information on what to do. It's telling you to take back control of the steering wheel. If you don't take back control after a few seconds then it will show another message on the right there which says um, it's that LKA steering assist is unavailable and hold the steering wheel. So at that point on this particular car it drops out um, so you need to be paying attention. The second one is, um, that's from an Audi S5 and that shows the traffic jam assist. I'll just show that in a bigger bigger form so it's um, the resolution's better. It's so on the left, driver assist, traffic jam assist active and it's got the green multiple cars icon and the green lines showing you that it's detecting the lines and that traffic jam assist is on. Now that's active for under 30Ks an hour. If you look on the bottom right and it says boost. And at that point, the car will essentially operate, this is an S5, as a level three vehicle where it's steering itself, you're going very slow, surrounded by traffic and uh, the vehicle's uh, essentially taking over after 30 or so seconds, it'll tell you to put your hands back on the wheel. Um, But really a lot of confidence in terms of allowing the vehicle to do what it needs to do at that low speed We've got uh, number three, um, I think show, that was Alexis, and it shows you on the right um, lane centre, steering assist, alert, sensitivity. So it shows you sensitivity is high. Alert is on vibration with a vibration icon. And the lane centre, keeping you in the middle of the lane, is on. You could turn that off if you, um, as the driver, wanted to. The, um, and the fourth one is the Hyundai, and that shows you the three different LKAs, lane departure, standard LKA, which keeps you between the lines, but you will oscillate kind of like a pendulum from left to right, Um, not not quickly necessarily, but yeah, you're not going to take your hands off the wheel for longer than a second or two, and then active, which keeps you in the the centre of the lane, and you can see down the bottom, on the left above the 20 degrees, there's an icon there, that's actually two lanes and a car in the middle, so that's showing you that that's active. The other one, most recently, we had an E400 Mercedes-Benz, and that was, um, without doubt, the best performing vehicle. The Tesla is very good as well, um, but we had a limited tri- trial for the Tesla. Uh, the Mercedes gives you a lot of confidence with that, um, the engineering that they use. And here it's showing you, um, I'm traveling at 103 k's an hour. You can see in the bottom left. Um, it's green steering wheel with hands on the wheel so I can take my hands off each line is green as well it's showing me that there is a vehicle in front that's about um, 80 80 or 90 metres away so it's showing you the distance uh, and um, everything at this point was travelling um, very nicely I was on a rural freeway uh, outside of Melbourne on the Calder and the vehicle performed extremely, extremely well I'm just putting my hands on every 40 seconds or so so just um, coming back to the competing perspectives, so what we found at the beginning of this project is that the OEMs, their research and development is all commercial in confidence. They're competing against each other in terms of wanting to have you know, the latest and greatest vehicle for market share and of course profits. On the right-hand side, we've got owners. the owner's manual that's in the Aqua, and that is where the OEMs write down all the caveats. So they say at all times the, the, the driver must be in control of the vehicle. I'll give you a few examples of that later on in the presentation in a couple of minutes. Then on the left-hand side, we've got public relations, the marketing and media, and you'll get another view um, and another perspective of ADAS and uh, semi-automated vehicles or automated vehicles because that's the sensationalised um, part. And, and, and in actual fact, it's also when the accidents happen. And so that makes good, good media. Um, in terms of its sales papers and things. So that's going to be obviously make, you know, front page news or certainly be very prominent in the media. But from a a road agency point of view, the key um, part is the vehicle driving experience because at the end of the day, that's what's going to dictate uh, the road safety, uh, how the user interacts with the technology, how they drive the vehicle when the vehicle has these systems turned on and their ability to take back control of the vehicle or just understand what the vehicle's doing. So what we um, were trying to do is move the, from the left, you can see the arrow there, from left to right where in the past it was the OEM research and development and the road agencies were a little bit unsure about what was happening in terms of really what, are, what do these vehicles do, how do they interact with the road network, the, the road infrastructure, what are um, we as government, the Royal We, um, meant to do and how do we respond to that? So. It's really about putting the vehicle at the at the centre and that's the thing that's going to dictate for the road agencies um, how the infrastructure and the network is operated in future. So that's pretty much what this project is about, that vehicle driving experience. Uh, It's anecdotal in the sense of we were all in the car. It's qualitative. Um, Quantitative data could have been collected. We didn't think it was going to add a lot of value because this is really about hypothesising and identifying a a starting point for going forward. Here we go. I've got a couple of um, quotes from the owner's manuals. Um, Honda Accord, over-reliance on the system may result in a collision. So this is what's stated. This is stated um, and copy and paste it out of the owner's manual to give you an idea of the perspective from the road, uh, from the OEMs I should say. Do not rely on the system. The system may not work in poor weather, sudden light changes or poor road conditions. There's been some publicity from Transurban about their um, sound tunnel and the sudden light changes there which um, were playing havoc with, with the systems at times giving it the speed delimited. Sign, um, sign in inside the vehicle. So without doubt, they're clear that um, poor weather, when it's you know raining a lot and sudden those shadowing, um, it's difficult for the um, for the technology to pick it, pick up what's going on in the road infrastructure. Mercedes Benz, um, this is one of my favorites. If you fail to adapt your driving style, the systems can neither reduce the risk of an accident nor override the laws of physics. Very clear about the fact that um, it has limitations. The Uh, the technology. Again, the systems cannot take road and weather conditions or traffic conditions into account. So if someone, you know, suddenly pulls in front of you and stops, the vehicle will attempt to respond to that but may not be able to. Uh, BMW detection capacity is limited. Two-wheeled vehicles may not be detected. So what we found uh, was that line markings are very important. They're critical in terms of the vehicle um, taking into account where, where it should be relative to all the other vehicles on the road, uh, the line markings are the key factor there because that's where it steers, uh, it gets the information from the cameras, lighters and radars, put the, puts those together and um, puts the, the vehicle within the centre of, of the lane and keeps it there. Speed signs are important as well because the reflectivity, the position of those will um, at times, if you allow it, make the vehicle um, change speed if you have set it to the speed limit um, and depending on the location of those speed signs and sometimes yes, they're on the back of buses and things like that, sometimes there will be misreadings and they do vary a lot um, between the different makes and models. It's really important um, and that's what came out of this this, um, trial is that all the vehicles are very different um, and therefore you need to get to know the vehicle certainly at this point, um, and understand it, and so kind of do a bit of trial and error under a controlled environment, of course, where you've got full attention, because because they vary. And in terms of your confidence within, with the vehicle and the system, that varies as well. Um, so education, it seems, would help at this point, because um, what the expectations are of the driver will vary depending on what a person's read. Um, depending on what handover they get from the OEM and depending what um, perhaps uh, in future what driver licensing tests um, and background information they've learned. So we found um, that different people view and use semi or partial AVs um, differently. One of the things that came uh, became apparent was that men tend to t- test the limits of the vehicle. I mean that um, tends to be inbred women tend to look at okay how can it assist me Um, how can this make my my life easier as I mentioned earlier there are variations across each of the vehicle models and makes Um, hands off the wheel varies between 10 and 65 seconds Technology is changing rapidly Um, and what we recommend going forward is it really needs to be a system approach where it's a safe system, it's holistic. I mean, safe system in road safety has been around for a long time is the vehicle, the infrastructure and the driver. And that really going forward with AVs um, and certainly the partial AVs and semi AVs, which we're going to be in that status Um, Certainly, that's what I predict for a very long time because people will still want to drive their vehicles. So there'll be human driven vehicles, there'll be partially automated vehicles and there might at times be um, highly automated vehicles as well. And having those all operating in the same system, it's really important that we um, have each of the driver, the vehicle and the infrastructure um, working together. Just, um, I'll just quickly go over this. This is the latest SAE levels that's been put out. And this really is a bit more useful than the previous one. Um, Looking at this, the, the level three tends to be what we were testing. That's where for periods of time, and that may vary depending on the conditions of the road and the vehicle, you can take your hands off and you can allow the vehicle to drive itself. Now that at the moment, freeway conditions or in a traffic jam. Operational driving domain is a more useful term where it really talks about that freeway conditions or the congested conditions in which the vehicle may find itself. So that's the operational driving domain. If you think about it logically, it's a roadway type, it's the time of day and the weather conditions, and it's under that scenario, whatever that scenario is, that the vehicle will operate um, in a certain way. For example, it will operate at a level three in a freeway, um, good good, um, visibility, Good weather and um, on fairly gentle curvatures. The dynamic driving task is another term that's um, used as well and that's really about controlling the motion of the vehicle and monitoring and responding to the vehicle. And just going forward, I'm just about to finish up, Um, we really found that from testing all these vehicles that traffic jams and using traffic jam assist we project or hypothesise that that's um, very useful in terms of reducing rear-end accidents in those low speeds, which can have a massive impact on congestion levels. And also in terms of fatigue, there's nothing like sitting in a congested road, for example, on a, on a freeway, an urban freeway, where you stop, start, stop, start, and that's extremely tiring um, and your fatigue levels go up, so that kind of that operational driving domain um, is very useful Uh, Autopilot uh, or traffic jam assist is is useful. And the other thing I wanted to mention is they use different terms. The OEMs use a lot of different terms depending on which make. Um, We've got Honda Sensing, for example, and then you've got the Distronic for Mercedes, and then you've got Traffic Jam Assist or Autopilot for Tesla. So there's a lot of different terms sometimes used to, to mean the same thing, but sometimes slightly different as well. Freeway driving, as I mentioned, that's uh, the first thing in terms of the autobahn or urban freeways in particular where your speed is adjusting a lot and rural freeways where you've got great conditions um, in in good weather and so it's super useful there, I imagine, and we hypothesise that um, particularly good for rural and regional uh, people who who are driving long distances and i think i've gone slightly over time so just be uh, one more half a half a minute so we, in terms of answering questions like can responsible use of LKA and ACC increase road safety um, and reduce fatigue, we definitely um, project that yes, it can um, from looking at the vehicles that are on the market at the moment. Do drivers know how to use LKA LKA and ACC? No, not often. Um, and we ourselves have had trouble at times trying to work out how to use the vehicles, which settings to put them on. Um, and then there are extremes where people can clearly relinquish control of the vehicle, assuming that it's all on autopilot and then have an accident, or they um, alternatively turn everything off because they don't trust it or know how to use the vehicle. Which roads are best suited um, for ADAS deployment, freeways, motorways, small curvatures, wide lanes, 3.5 metre lanes, good sight distances, clear speed signs, well-maintained roads. These are all common sense, but it's good to have them written down. The different, ADAS are different on each vehicle. A different driving style is required. We found that it's a more pilot driving style, where you're looking at the at the dashboard, looking at what um, is being shown to you on the dashboard, as well as looking out the window. So that's very different to your dynamic driving tasks, which is where you have control of the vehicle and you're always looking out, you know, around you, behind you, to see what other um, drivers are doing and being able ready to dynamically engage with the with the vehicle, either braking, accelerating, or steering. How could the use of LKA and ACC be encouraged on motorways? Well, we uh, p- again hypothesised. These are all, this is all hypothesis in in the sense of this is where more research and more um, trials are being done around Australia and will need to be done in future. So driver education and the road managers and the road agencies and uh, engineers understanding what these vehicles can do. We recently with Vic Roads had a day a workshop where we had five vehicles and. Um, the, the personnel from VicRoads, VicRoads staff, were able to go out in the vehicles and, and experience them for themselves. So they found that very useful in terms of yeah, putting um, something more um, robust around your, rather than just reading and seeing and looking and imagining. When you actually experience the vehicle, gives you a very different perspective. So um, finally, how can road operators assist? Well maintained motorways, um, clear and good quality lines are essential. Speed limits very clear and to standard. Um, and we uh, believe that relationships with the OEMs um, will help immensely um, increase understanding of that relationship and that safe system approach whereas the vehicle the driver and the road infrastructure thanks very much
1: okay thank you Sam uh, I'm sure there'll be plenty of questions from your presentation I'm now going to welcome uh, dr. Miranda blog uh, Miranda is the uh, director of a cooperative and automated Vehicle Initiative at the Queensland Department of Transport and Main Roads. She is a registered civil engineer with a PhD in traffic engineering and has specialised in traffic engineering, transport planning and research for the past 20 years. Our Queensland Connected and Automated Vehicle Initiative includes the CITS pilot which is testing eight CITS use cases on 500 vehicles on arterial and motorway roads in Ipswich. Welcome Miranda.
3: Thanks, Chris. So let's just get this guy started. Right, so TMR, like many other states, we have a challenge and that challenge is to work towards a vision of zero road fatalities. And really through our education, enforcement and engineering initiatives, TMR have reduced our fatals in Queensland from 30 per 100,000 to five per 100,000. And this is despite an increase in population. But to reach zero, there are significant challenges. And we already see um, themes such as vulnerable road users being overrepresented in our fatalities and serious injuries are also on the rise. Um, You can see here, we have about 6,500 serious injuries a year um, and that for any other transport mode would be intolerable. We're talking about an equivalent of about 16 Boeing 747s over the year. So really to achieve our target which is a 30% reduction in these serious crashes by 2020 we need to start thinking about quite dramatic disruptions to these trends and of course the opportunity for many of us around the country are cooperative and automated vehicles. So cooperative users really are about that information sharing and it's not just vehicles and infrastructure, it's vehicles, infrastructure, commuters and the road operator in that ecosystem. And what that enables is for safety critical messages to be shared between those users to support a safer environment. The automated vehicle side, and many of you already know this, it's relying on the sensors to see around the road, and they can also automate that response to certain situations or environment. And and really, we think that the convergence of those where you're looking at um, those seeing sensors, the vision sensors, and then the cooperative sensors that share and listen. And that's referred to as the CAV or the cooperative and automated vehicle is um, is something that we we think really needs to happen for a fully driverless vehicle a fully automated vehicle to occur. So in 2016, TMR undertook a rapid cost benefit analysis of the um, specifics around cooperative vehicles in southeast Queensland and based on 10 safety use cases which are generally being tested or have been rolled out around the world which is equivalent to around about a 20% reduction in crashes and a moderate penetration of cooperative ITS over a 30-year period from 2021. We're really seeing a benefit cost ratio of around 3.4. So most folks have heard about automated vehicles it's, a, it's it's in the media a lot and um, the estimate of when those may occur and that's talking about a fully driverless vehicle um, and uh, level level three and above um, and different manufacturers are estimating their arrival anywhere from you know the mid-20s to um, 20, 2030. we find here locally a lot of our stakeholders don't really appreciate the um, commercial development of cooperative systems. And so I just wanna touch on those quickly. Today we have around 5% of vehicles that are connected and we're estimating that around 80 million or 75% by 2025, which would be compared with uh, around 250,000 automated vehicles or driverless vehicles worldwide. And so that's really um, likely then that the cooperative or connected element of our life is, is more likely in the near term and something that we're focused on for that reason. So around the world, we have emerging harmonized international cooperative intelligent transport system standards, which we call CITS, which is arguably a subset of connected vehicles, because connected vehicles could mean any number of things. In Toyota, um, Japan, and General Motors in the US, they already have a commercially available vehicle with CITS, and Japan also has rolled out 800 enabled intersections. And across the world, many vanu- manufacturers and the US and European governments are preparing for deployment in 2019. And the US was recently um, stating that is the government that they plan to roll out some 50,000 plus roadside units. So, most of this work to date has focused on the rollout of day one use cases, and many of them are day one safety use cases. So with that in mind, we've developed this scope of work called the Cooperative and Automated Vehicle Initiative, which involves four pieces, four key pieces, three pilot areas. So the largest area that we're dealing with in pilots is the Cooperative Intelligent Transport System, the CITS pilot. We have a vulnerable road user pilot to address those safety issues. And then cooperative and highly automated driving, um, which we call CHAD. And the objectives of this initiative are really to ready government ourselves, to ready our customers, to ready industry, and to understand what the safety impacts of this technology is on our roads. There's still quite a few unknowns. So the CITS pilot, as I mentioned, the lion's share of what we're doing. We're basing it on um, European CITS standards, which is in line with um, what we've informally agreed nationally, and eight safety use cases We're hoping to get around 500 participants who will interact in the Ipswich area on arterials and motorway environments. And we'll perform a subjective and objective safety analysis on that data. We've already performed some um, focus groups to collect some baseline information and also a large, large scale survey of our customers locally. So we're just finishing our um, planning phase, which is really a discovery effort where we did lots of interoperability tests with our multiple vendors um, on an off-road test facility that TMR owns called Mount Cotton. And at this point, we're about to procure for um, the the, uh, tenders that would move through to the development and testing phase prior to our rollout of the large scale pilot. So we have had a lot of partners already as part of our discovery phase. Um, Our major sponsor is MACE, which is the Motor Accident Insurance Commission in Queensland. And we're also working with iMove QUT and the City of Ipswich. And we have a range of other technical partners on the journey with us. The CITS use cases, as I mentioned, we have eight of them. Two vehicle-to-vehicle use cases and six vehicle-to-infrastructure use cases. Uh, the infrastructure use cases um, cover signalised intersection environments, signs, so we have uh, in-vehicle speeds and roadworks environments, and then hazards, um, in particular back queues on motorways, and then road hazard warnings from our Queensland traffic information data set. So that would be things like flooded road, a crash ahead, debris on the road, all sorts of um, warnings. So we have adopted for our pilot a, um, a communi- hybrid communication models, which is um, which is um, en- endorsed by Sea Roads in Europe, which is 16 European countries. And so the premise of it is that you have vehicle-to-vehicle interactions and some vehicle-to-infrastructure interactions for safety-critical messages, operating in short-range communications, which is called G5 or 5.9 or DSRC and we also have long-range communication which is enabled by 3G, 4G and that um, enables us to connect to both vehicles and our infrastructure from the central station and we integrate TMR's data to generate messages that have safety intent but are not necessarily safety critical. So in terms of the central station, we also can enable and support um, positioning augmentation, security certificates, the collection of the pilot data and monitoring and maintenance of the entire system. So part of the planning phase, which we've wrapped up, we've had a number of findings and just to capture a couple of them today, interoperability for between different vendors um, in the roadside and vehicle environments is difficult to achieve because the message elements and triggers vary. And so uh, the EU is actually making an effort to harmonize those triggers within the use cases as well. Vehicle stations don't use a base map. Um, This is important because it means TMR has to provide better geospatial data as part of the messages that we distribute and that would give information in advance of a hazard, so any roads leading into the hazard, that you would then have advanced warning that you could react to and get those warnings. Vehicle stations don't at the moment provide lane level positioning and they don't meet the standards and that's something that the vehicle station providers are going to have to work to improve. Our central station, for the central station because we can't buy a central station, we've had to build a proof of concept and that was successfully tested last year with several of the roadside and vehicle station vendors um, and we do note there that we have a couple of bespoke items in that station and we're waiting for the EU who are working on our more detailed specifications around the 3G, 4G environment as well. So wrapping up our planning phase, we have developed 15 technical specifications for roadside vehicle environments, as well as the human machine interface in the vehicle and all the use cases, deployment plans, test plans, and various other documents. And we hope to make those available to industry shortly so that they can have a look. So in terms of the CHAD pilot, or the cooperative and highly automated driving pilot, we're not ready to announce yet, but we're getting close. And so we have um, two components, two different types of vehicles, the first vehicle Uh, enables data collection using all the traditional sensors you'd expect, (laughs) non-traditional I should say, expect on an automated vehicle. So this will help us um, answer some questions with our our project lead who's the Australian Robotics Centre. So how will existing infrastructure impact automated vehicles? What type of infrastructure improvements could address shortcomings? How will these changes um, improve? as the technology improves. It's not about what's happening today. It's about what the potential is uh, moving forward as this technology and the algorithms that sit behind it improve. And then what the obligation is of um, States and local jurisdictions to support that environment and those vehicles. So the other vehicle is a level four automated vehicle. Um, all the same similar sensors, but it's also a research platform so we can access all the data, we can change the modules, we can do a large number of things, uh, including the existing modules that the vehicle um, arrives with. And so the elements that we plan to research include driver, in particular driver handover, so back it out to a level three where there is that handover activity, The road user, so it's not just about that physical static asset, but rather the dynamic interactions between road users, vulnerable road users or merging and weaving with other users. And then also how those other users interact or respond to the vehicle, so it's a two-way street. And then finally, the digital asset piece is about the vehicle's reliance on our cooperative messages. So in a signal environment where we are providing that information 10 times a second that that automated vehicle then can move through that environment with that additional information available in its census suite as a redundancy to the information that's already provided. So we have a large program of work around those vehicles. Uh, a series of public demonstrations, both in Southeast Queensland and the broader Queensland um, areas. We have public drivers who will be using the vehicles on our Mount Cotton test bed, as well as train drivers on our public roads. And then we have a series of reports that will be released associated with those various research pieces that will be available to industry as we finish them. Thank you.
1: Cheers, thanks Miranda. Um, Again hopefully there are a lot of questions on uh, Miranda's uh, topics appearing in the uh, chat sidebar. I'm going to introduce our last presenter today, um, he's a good colleague of mine John Wall. Um, John is the Manager of Road Safety Technology with Transport for New South Wales um, and is recognised as one of Australia's leading specialists in the application of intelligent transport systems for road safety. He has over 25 years experience in the development of road safety strategies, and he will be presenting on today on New South Wales Centre for Road Safety's City initiative. Um, you can see the slide deck there, um, which is the first large-scale evaluation of CITS applications in heavy vehicles. Welcome, John.
4: Thanks, Chris, and good afternoon to everyone, and um, thanks for spending your lunch hour with us. Yeah, if I can just get this to operate. Just firstly, I'd like to uh, thank our project manager, Vanessa Vakoski who originally put this presentation together. Uh, Vanessa's been in charge of the city project for the last um, three years or so, following up from Dr. Paul Tyler from CSIRO, who um, initiated the project and moved forward with it for us. Um, Vanessa's on leave at the moment, so I'm probably the main contact for people who want to find out uh, more information around the city project at the moment. The objectives of the city project were really a learn by doing project similar to Samantha's and it was all about things such as accessing the functionality and the performance in different types of vehicles, but with a real keen focus on freight collecting real-world quantitative and qualitative data to look at the road safety or potential road safety benefits of the project, and to assess things like driver acceptance and gathering feedback from drivers on the benefits of this new technology, as well as their concerns. The project itself um, covers around 21,500 kilometres of uh, the road network um, in New South Wales, now including Sydney and Southern Sydney. Part of that was to obtain the first large scale license for using 5.9 gigahertz in the radio spectrum from ACMA, although uh, in January uh, this year, ACMA has released that for the use of cooperative ITS, but for the past four years, uh, we've had to hold a scientific license to actually use that particular part of the spectrum uh, from the Australian Communications and Media Authority. There are three elements to the current city test bed. Um, we've got 38 trucks at the moment. However, that number has been as high as 60 trucks actually working on the uh, on the network. The numbers fluctuate as uh, trucks are sold and replaced. There are three participating companies in the project. Uh, they carry coal, steel, and new vehicles uh, out of the port of Port Campbell. So it's very much focused on the Uh, delivery and um, dispatch of of, um, export uh, vehicles from Port Kembla itself. There's also 11 buses, public passenger buses now operating in the test bed, and we have three signalised intersections as well. In addition to that, we've got four roadside stations. Uh, These roadside stations are large solar powered um, trailers. Uh, They're used to collect data. Three of them are used to collect data and send small software upgrades to the participating vehicles. Um, One of them is used to actually broadcast a message of a 40-kilometre truck and bus speed limit that applies to a steep descent um, into the city of Wollongong, just above the city that runs for about eight kilometres. And each of those are portable and movable if we need them to as well. The research team has also fitted three light vehicles and one motorcycle with cooperative ITS onboard units. The current up uh, safety applications, we've tested five safety applications so far, uh, and drivers receive these five messages, forward collision, intersection collision warning, and that's what we're seeing on the screen, that's the intersection collision warning uh, graphic that our drivers would see, heavy braking ahead, red light ahead, and exceed the truck and bus speed limit on the uh, descent down into Wollongong on Mount Oosley. The forward collision warning was the initial set of applications that was deployed to 60 trucks. Um, this alert warns a driver in the rear of an impending collision with a vehicle in front. We did, however, run a number of surveys and focus groups with participating drivers. Many of the drivers reported regularly experiencing forced forward collision alerts on roads with multiple lanes. We needed to dig into this a little bit more because drivers were really complaining about this particular uh, application in the CITS system. And we did some work with CSRO and Data61 to have a look at the uh, positioning of the vehicles to see whether or not this is actually causing uh, the particular problem. Analysis of the data reveals that the cause of the false alerts reported by drivers was actually related to the GPS system that was used to position the vehicle on the road. In the slide here, the red and blue histograms represent a collection of data positioning samples recorded at a given point on the road. Peaks in the graph indicate where most data points were recorded. The peaks do correspond to the lanes in the images, But the other data that's the data away from the peaks indicate uh, errors with the positioning system, and we were just using the US GPS system for this particular project. The yellows indicate where the two vehicles were traveling in adjacent lanes, but the inaccurate positioning determined that the vehicles were actually in each other's path and a forward collision alert was generated. There's a big tail in the distribution uh, for this. with a maximum of about 10 metres at some stage for uh, these systems to be out. The issue is happening so frequently that we've ended up having to disable the forward collision alert uh, for the drivers uh, as it was really uh, causing them to start to ignore other alerts on the system as well. One of the other interesting uh, things that we found is that the CTIs was configured originally not tuition alert, where the elevation difference was greater than five metres. Uh, here, the system assumes in these cases that the vehicles are on different roads. For example, one may be on an overpass. This setting is configurable, but if we change the settings too much, uh, we could end up um, this is, so we could, sorry, we could change the settings so that vehicles on steep roads would get alerts. However, this would also issue an alert for a vehicle when one was travelling on a bridge above another vehicle. And I think this really indicates one of the big advantages of actually uh, running uh, a project like this with freight vehicles, but also vehicles that um, have very challenging uh, road network uh um, to to operate on. Many of the CITS projects to date, and the largest one being in our in an arbor with light vehicles in Michigan, have occurred in very flat terrain where these sorts of problems would not have even shown up. There's some other issues too around Australian uh, freight vehicles, and I guess this indicates the importance of trialing this technology here in Australia, and not just depending on results from other countries, uh, such as uh, in the US or in European countries in the Northern Hemisphere. Almost 50% of the vehicles that were used in stage one of our project were a double configurations uh, hauling coal, and you can see from the photographs there the size of these vehicles. Uh, The length was uh, just over 27.5 metres, and the gross vehicle mass of these vehicles were uh, 85 tonnes. Initially, our software didn't even allow for the length of these vehicles because this type of vehicle isn't used in uh, North America or in Europe. And definitely this sort of vehicle as well, uh, which is I think from Western Australia, can which is even longer, up to fifty-three point five metres, or for anyone that may be lifting from uh the US, 175 and a half feet long uh from Western Australia is an example of the sort of vehicle that was, I don't think, even dreamed of when the configurations for uh CITS were uh developed uh for the US market. If we now turn to the benefits that our vehicle drivers saw with the technology, uh, a lot of them thought it was a really good idea, but it really needed to be fine-tuned in a way that it's fitted to the truck and the way that it works. There are lots of benefits if it is more accurate, and greater accuracy was seen to be needed And a larger number of vehicles and vehicle types. So the drivers thought it was a good idea, but the accuracy was really something that they were playing on. And and the accuracy in CITS is dependent on so many things, not just things like GPS, but also the ability of the vehicles to pick up transmissions from other vehicles and from infrastructure as well. If we have a look at where we're going next in terms of our activities in the city testbed, the the city testbed is continuing on um, we've asked members of the local community now to actually trial CITS in 55 privately owned vehicles and 48 of those vehicles as of last week are now fitted with CITS technology. We're equipping eight, uh, sorry, five additional signalised sections. This will give us uh, an eight kilometre length of road in which every single intersection in that length of road is actually a CITS um, equipped. Uh, Signalised intersection. We've also now collected more than five billion basic safety messages as part of this project, and we're now working on a data analytics and visualisation system. And Siemens has come to us now and is working on a rail level crossing alert in development as well um which is going to be fascinating because we do have a rail level crossing within the port and it's a relatively controlled space that we can test this sort of technology between different modes of transport as well. Very quickly turning to some of the stuff that I think is really exciting and we'll be working on for the next 12 months is around our visualisation platform for the, the city data, the 5 billion records that we've collected. The visualizations that I'm going to show you now are really just a test run that we did for the first 800,000 records, or first nine months of operation of these vehicles. and We can see there, for example, vehicle number 50 uh, here has already done 50,000 kilometres of travel in that nine-month period that they've been operating in the particular project. This visualisation is showing the types of warnings that we're getting from our uh, HMI system. So uh, this stands for forward collision warning, uh, the electronic brake light, which is the heavy braking application intersection collision warning. The TIMS, the traffic information message, is what we're getting from our speed limit uh, beacon system at the top of the mountain and red light warning ahead, which is these warnings here. And that's all mapped in our particular system and then summarized as well so we can dive into that data in more detail here we've done this we've just pulled out the intersection collision warning messages and we can start to see clusters here where these sorts of systems are uh recording more than one intersection collision warning. In fact, vehicle number twenty-five here has recorded four hundred and twenty-nine intersection collision uh alerts. So that would be really interesting to dive in to see exactly where they were happening. Or if perhaps that's a problem with the particular system and it may be false alarms. If you want any more information about the city project, um please don't hesitate to give me a call. My details are up on the screen now and we'll be in the handout notes. Back to you, Chris.
1: Terrific, Uh, thanks, John. Um, Three absolutely pro-level presentations there. We're on the home stretch and now have time for Q&A with our presenters. Um, To be blunt, I'm not gonna be able to get to all of the questions asked because there've been so many. We will endeavor to provide responses afterwards. Um, The first question was sent in prior to the webinar. Uh, And I'm going to first send it to John and then over to Nico. Um, When do we expect connected vehicles to be sending data from their anti-skid or electronic stability control modules to be shared either with road authorities or other vehicles?
4: Oh, I think that that's a great question for the the OEMs on that. I would say that in uh, 2016, I was lucky enough to attend the launch of Volvo's Connected Car program uh, with the ambassador for Sweden. And that's where Volvo announced a program where they would be uh, providing exactly that sort of information, but rather than doing it through DSRC and the 5.9 gigahertz uh, area of the radio spectrum, they were looking at it as a cell-enabled um, uh, program, um, so using 4G or 3G network, which then would go to a Volvo um, equivalent of a TMC similar to what Miranda's building, I guess, in terms of a CAVI project. From there, that would go out to uh, other Volvo drivers in the vicinity, and then there was a possibility of that information also being provided to a virtual TMC, perhaps run by someone like the Swedish Tra- Traffic Authority. Um, it's certainly not a system as rapid as we could do with DSRC uh, around that, uh, but Miranda might be able to talk a little bit about whether or not the EU has that as a day one application.
1: Nikola
5: Miranda, do you have a view on that? Yeah. Um. In regards to the um, EU, um, the Ostrods itself is a associated member of Sea Roads. Sea Roads, similar to the Ostrods, but is more extensive. Um, there is currently no direction in regards to uh, that particular um, initiatives. Um, but I think, I guess, I, I agree with uh, what. John said, uh, because this is um, mainly a trial within the AV industry. Okay.
2: Um,
1: Nico, just while we're with you, um, one of the hot topics, uh, again, came up in the uh, pre-questions prior to the webinar was around interoperability. how is Australia seeking to achieve uh, consistency across state borders with cooperative ITS? Uh, we could end up in a position with a number of
5: trials uh, where we don't achieve that. Yeah, great questions, Chris. OSROTS um, itself, OSROTS um, has the um, specific trial and technical working group, and specifically, um, uh, targeting the trials as well as sharing information and trials and trying to um, collaborate with all jurisdictions including new zealand and um, and that way um we, we're trying our best to um for example is trying to avoid duplications uh with the other uh, jurisdictions so they can uh, strategically um, determine the funding where it's going to be and um as well as um getting a lot of the subject matter experts from jurisdiction will be beneficial uh, to have uh, one or a, a interoperability direction for, for Australia and New Zealand so the working group has been running quite well and um, yeah and um, it's it's covering every, everything from the corporate of ITS and AV and uh, one thing I would like to mention that um, in terms of interoperability um, we have a an Astros project, uh, um, eighteen nineteen, uh, in regards to the harmonisation of message protocol. So, it's it's pretty much a message or a language that it's going to be used uh, for vehicle to vehicle, vehicle to infrastructure, and then we're trying to harmonise uh, to have uh, a agreed direction for Australia, and as well as uh, to include New Zealand. Okay, terrific. Um,
1: Sam, for you, uh, there was a a lot of questions came in online um, on your presentation, um, a lot around uh, driver education. Um, First of all, are there some guidelines to best practice um, from your experience in the project as to how vehicles should handle pan back control? Um, And secondly, are we considering insisting on driver training for vehicles
4: uh, over the next five to ten years as drivers adapt? Hi Sam, are you still with us? Is your phone on mute?
1: Okay, Um, while we try to get Sam back, um, I have a question that came in um, for Miranda. Uh, Miranda, could um, inter-vehicle communications or communications between um, cyclists and vehicles help to ensure that motor vehicles avoid them rather than just using the vehicles onboard perception systems such as radar and camera. um, Could it also be used to help detect motorcyclists which are also
4: difficult to detect?
3: Yes, both of those things um, could and have been uh, demonstrated in various forms around the world. The personal device for um, the vulnerable road users is still emerging as a technical product. Um, I do know of one vendor who's Um, produced uh, demonstration versions but the um, motorbikes certainly is a is a product that's been demonstrated in various countries around the world already
1: excellent and as a follow-up to you um, we had a question uh, around who do you see operating the CITS central platform Um, do you think that would stay in-house at transport and main roads Um, and how do you think you would bring vehicle manufacturers or OEMs on board with the central platform?
3: So the central platform's primary functions is to integrate TMR's various silo data into the digestible form that meets the CITS standards and to distribute that more broadly. Um, That information and how that information may be uh, shared um, Through different uh, routes or directly to OEMs has not really been explored yet, but there's certainly a lot of opportunities with that platform uh, that the department could choose to explore in the future um, beyond the seed, which is essentially this pilot environment. So, in terms of how OEMs may access data, um, uh, that's, I guess that's yet to be determined.
1: Yeah, okay. Thanks, we've got Sam back online now. Um, Sam, can uh, did you hear those questions and can we go back to you for an answer?
2: Yes, yes, I did hear them. I just wanted to get the second question again with the five to 10 years. Can you just remind me, Chris? All
1: right, so first question was guidelines from your experience as to how we should hand back control. Second, are we considering insisting on driver training the drivers' of vehicles as they adapt over the next five to 10 years?
2: Yeah, I think, so with the first one, uh, handing back control of the vehicle that is really an adjustment as well in terms of what you're expecting from the vehicle because depending on how old you are and how long you've been driving you drive in a certain way and you do it automatically it's not like you consciously think look in the rear view mirror do this do that it becomes all automatic so when I make that transition to a partially automated vehicle and also because they are very Different between each of the vehicles and models then it becomes you need to alter your driving style and and make that become automatic and so that's where there's a challenge um, just because of habits. How you hand that back um, the vehicles are quite clear in terms of when you hand back it's a matter of your attention span being attended to the right prompts I suppose so that they then become automatic because in that transition process they're certainly not automatic because you're saying oh there's red hands what does that mean oh it's beeping why is it beeping oh that means take you know all these messages going through your mind when you first have a vehicle and are learning about it then that becomes you know that happens more and more and you become more and more familiar with what you need to do that's fine I mean and that's going to vary from people uh, between different people It might take a day or it might take a week or a month, who knows, depends on the individual. As far as I think a standard practice from the OEMs in terms of what the icon is, what it does, how many seconds you've got, those kinds of things would be very useful in terms of making it consistent across to each of the vehicles and making the nomenclature the same as well and the messages, the the audio and the visual messages consistent as far as driver licensing definitely that uh, would be very useful because even I notice I've driven quite a lot of cars recently and once you become accustomed to that lane keeping assist even if it's just on a little bit then going back to a car where you're in full dynamic control of the vehicle you can at times assume the vehicle is going to be more steady in the lane as you kind of look around or look in another lane or something and I have noticed myself veer off I mean, not very often, but more often than I would normally. Um, and it happened this morning. And it, yeah, it makes you worry because you think, gee, that happened quickly. You know, I wouldn't normally, that would not normally have happened had I not been driving those uh, partially automated vehicles. So uh, definitely the, the driver licensing, but it's becoming aware of how you're reacting and how that interaction with the vehicle and the driver is you know, that, that interaction, the behaviour of both the vehicle and the driver, and I definitely think there's, there's some more research and more testing because by age, by gender, you know, by predisposition, it's really, um, I mean, the gender, I found absolutely fascinating. I, from a female point of view, I would never assume that you would get in a car and try and test it to its limits, but from a man's point of view, that seems like well, that's obvious. So there are okay. certain assumptions that you can make. I'm going
1: to have to uh, wrap you up there. To be um, sorry for that, um, but we have hit, uh, two, three minutes to go. We need to pass back to Eliz um, to finalise the webinar so that you've got instructions on how you can get answers to all of these questions. Back to you, Eliz.
0: Yeah, Thanks Chris and thanks to all the presenters, our panel of presenters for presenting and answering people's questions. We do apologise if we weren't able to answer all of the questions during this time but what we'll do is we'll collect all the questions and answer them in a document and then we'll email that through when it's available. But before we close up, I'd like to show you a list of the upcoming webinars that we're running. Our next session is on the network performance indicators and we also have two other sessions which fall under the assets program. If you'd like more information or to register for these events, please go on the website shown. For those that don't know as well, our webinar recordings are available on our podcast. Simply search for Austroids on your podcast app or you could use our RSS feed. We encourage you to subscribe to the Austroids podcast if you haven't already done so and also the last exciting news is that Austroads has partnered with RMS New South Wales to bid to host the World Road Congress in Sydney in 2023. So this event is an opportunity to showcase some of our groundbreaking innovation and play an active role in shaping the future of our global community. You can visit this website shown on this slide for more information and to submit any questions or suggestions for the Congress. And lastly, thank you to the audience members for participating in this session. We hope you found the the session uh, exciting and useful and interesting but as we close we encourage you to give us your feedback and comments so please fill out a survey after the webinar and again thank you all the presenters for joining us today thank you all
1: Thanks, Elise.
0: thank you. Thank, you. thank you goodbye and enjoy the rest of your day
5: everyone